What a joy to be with you uh, again this uh, evening uh, to bring God's word uh, to you as uh, you rejoice together and uh, we rejoice with you at what the Lord has done for the past 30 years and um, continues to do. So really, the, the missions conference you have uh, this time is not an end, but uh, you've been in this road together of missions, and basically you are looking back to see what the Lord has done to bring you this far. And then looking ahead and saying, Lord, you who have brought us this far, please continue to lead us on. And so yesterday um, I had the opportunity to bring uh, God's word as we looked at uh, Acts chapter 1. And I chose... Uh, to look at Acts chapter 1 uh, because there uh, the Lord Jesus is uh, telling his disciples you must go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth and as we saw yesterday Really, they needed to be prepared. They needed uh, to be so convinced that indeed the task at hand is a task that is worth doing. Now, at the end, I did show you that this is God's agenda, that this is God's business, that Mission is the great thing that God has revealed himself unto us as his missionary God. And that that holds for us a great encouragement that as we labor in the mission field, and I praise God as I remember what was said yesterday by my fellow uh, pastors here, and uh, what my dear brother has shared with us as uh, challenges and joys. We are not in a business persuading God to do what he does not want. In fact, it is his business. Let's constantly remember that. To me, that's a great encouragement. And that we should be recruited to be involved in this that shows us there is success. Success is guaranteed because he's the one who has called us. And yes, here we are talking about missions and uh, indeed in our mind we are thinking of the missionaries, the pastors who have been sent out. Let's not forget their, uh, their dear wives, their families. But actually we are thinking of every believer. Every believer should know that we are in this business with God to send forth this great word. Now, where we ended was the fact that they needed the Holy Spirit to come upon them and so energize them and lead them on. And friends, this evening then, I would like us to be thinking about the content of missions. The content of missions. And it is easy. It is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the content of missions. And so in a sentence or in a word, what we go out there 
to proclaim, and I want us to see that in Acts chapter 2, is to proclaim the Lord Jesus, or Jesus as the Lord and Savior. It's a long uh, passage, and so I will not read the whole passage, um, but we will be reading portions as we go on. Now, I will not dwell with or handle the first 13 verses, but they are important. I will just mention the fact that the Spirit has come, borrowing from that famous uh, book. The Spirit has come, and that is uh, the first part of Acts chapter 2. Now, as I just give a running um, summary of those verses, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, our God, we thank you for yet again this second day that we gather here to look back and thank you for your enabling grace. You're the one who has blessed this church right from the early days, 30 years back, actually 30 plus, but the missions, Lord, 30 years back, you have been with them, you've blessed them, and thank you that we are here, able to look back and praise you for 40 churches that have been started, spread throughout this country and beyond to other countries around Africa. Thank you for that. Now, Lord, we want to appreciate from your word that there is but one message. Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. So help us then as we do that this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> These first 13 verses are important, are crucial. They, that is the apostles and uh, the 120 uh, that we saw yesterday, they were told, wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so they were waiting, and we saw that they were waiting an attitude of prayer, locked together, seeking the Lord. And then the Spirit comes upon them. When the Holy Spirit that had been promised came, and it was on the day of Pentecost, things were never to be the same again. Indeed, things were so Different, in fact, we are seeing how people reacted. And people were amazed and perplexed. And they asked, what does this mean? Near at the end of um, uh, the, those verses. What does this thing, what do these things mean? Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying, or said, they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. Surely these people are showing those who are mocking. They're blind. The power of God is right before them, demonstrated before them. But they just see these men us drunk. Two days ago when we arrived in your great country, I was talking with a young man called Angel and I was just telling him how great their country is, you know, this great country is. And he said, however, we have a problem. We have a problem that we have so many of our young people taken up by drink. And they drink alcohol. And two things he said. One, they are very young. In their young age. And two, not necessarily after work. 
So he was trying to say that drinking is, is taking up people's lives so much even at the wrong time. Here were a people who were experiencing the power of God, but some people only thought they were drunk. Of course, you know what? Such mockers are the ones God sends us to. They are our mission field. Friends, the Holy Spirit has come as Jesus promised. And if that is the case, so we must preach Christ as risen, victorious over death. Indeed, he's called the Spirit of Christ. So preaching the gospel, if we have the Holy Spirit, then we must declare that Christ indeed must be in the heart of the people. Jesus rules from heaven over all nations. Even now, he sends his servants filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we are seeing in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And as we now look from verses 14 onwards, I would like us to appreciate having spirit having come then the gospel must be preached the first thing that uh, we see happening here and we are introduced again to Peter Peter seemed to be at the forefront the, the leader and he will be the one for quite a while before uh, we are introduced to Paul Peter introduces the Messiah what I want us then to do Having seen that the Spirit has come, let's spend much of our time looking at the gospel then must be preached. If the Spirit has come, the gospel then must be preached. And under that, I have just a few uh, things uh, that I want us to see, some four things. Uh, and one of them is, or the first is, explaining the Pentecost. If the gospel has is to be preached and is closely connected with the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, then people need to be explained to what all this means. So explanation of the Pentecost there in verses 14 to 21. Let me read those verses. From verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes on the great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Peter then in this passage, he begins by correcting the wrong view that was expressed. These people are not drunk. But then he goes on and explains 
what has happened, anchoring it on an Old Testament passage that certainly those who were hearing on that day knew and understood from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. And here, of course, is God's promise of the last day. Peter refers to this. God's promise of the last day. Obviously, the last day then here refers to um, right from the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ all through to when he will return. That is referred to as the last day. To pour out, he will pour out his spirit upon all um, upon all flesh, that all who have the Spirit then will be able to prophesy. Now, there is much that can be said, but surely we can simply understand that all who have the Spirit will prophesy, and already we have seen something of that in verses 1 to 13, where those who have the Spirit of God upon them then prophesy. By that we mean what? Declaring the deeds of the Lord. Proclaiming the wonderful works of the Lord. We can, of course, go into more uh, theological debate about that. But surely the Spirit's coming then would enable God's people, because the Holy Spirit is upon them, they are then able to declare the deeds of the Lord. And then also we are told from verse 19, the various things that will happen. Uh, will show wonders in heaven and signs on earth. And these things uh, that are shown there in verse 22, um, these things going to declare that Jesus is indeed the Messiah with authority. And various things that are said will happen. Obviously, some of them have not happened. How they will happen right now, we cannot fully fathom or explain. But indeed, some of them, we believe, uh, did happen as we compare scripture with scripture. If you look at verse 20, the sun shall not uh, shall be turned to darkness, the moon uh, to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And as we think of these things where darkness um, is brought in, it helps us if we can think of what happened. Remember, we are dealing with the book of Acts. Please do turn with me to Luke, who also is the writer of Acts. But if you look at Luke chapter 23, verses 44 and 45, we see something that could be of great help to us as we understand the, the prophetic language in the book of Acts, where we have just, uh, we are. Look with me, verse 44 and verse 45. This is in reference to the death of the Lord Jesus, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So darkness associated with the death of the Lord Jesus. Verse 45, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn into two, we could go on. But those two verses shed light. They shed light to show us indeed that here we have the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is taking upon himself the last judgment of his people upon himself. He dies in their place. He, he pays for their penalty. And now 
to satisfy that Christ is resurrected from um, the dead. Indeed, we see what we had seen earlier, the mighty rushing wind, or what is given to us in verses 1 to 13, the mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. What's the end of all this, dear friends? We could do, of course, our old sermon in verses 16 to 21. But what's the end? Why is um, Peter bringing us, bringing into our attention, Joel chapter 2? Why? I believe verse 21 is crucial. Because in verse 21, he says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that, if we don't get mixed into all that one would desire to, to ask questions and seek for explanations, we are being told that it shall come to pass everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord be saved. In other words, friends, this salvation here would entail being forgiven for one's misdeeds, being forgiven for, for one's failure, turning rejection of God and God's Messiah going their own way. But now they come, they recognize that yes, what God had said has come to pass. And they turn to God and say, oh God, I failed to see the Messiah that you had brought and that such a person would be saved, such a person would be forgiven their sin. This is the agenda. And so that is what happened at Pentecost, the explanation of Pentecost. Peter pegs it, an Old Testament passage. But friends, let's move on and see the second thing. Not only are we given the explanation of Pentecost, but then we are given something about who this Christ is. Who is the Christ that Peter is talking about, that he and other apostles must from now, because the Holy Spirit has come? Who is this who they must go and declare as indeed the Messiah of God, the Savior of sinners? And we find that in verses 22 to 36. Who is the Messiah? He is none other than the one God himself has attested. The one that God himself has proved very clearly before all. How has he proved it? In a number of ways. One, he shows us who Christ is by his life. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, Peter says... Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. And so as Peter then begins to explain who Christ is, he begins by his life and he says, listen, here is a man, mighty in works, wonders, and signs. And he ends in a beautiful way. He says, and you yourselves know. In other words, this is not someone who appears among the people and people ask, and who is this? Now, that may happen to me if we walk in the streets with my brother Conrad tomorrow, then people may say, and who is this? Well, this is my friend from Kenya. Not so. This person we are dealing with, 
He was known among the people. Look with me briefly again at Luke chapter 24. Just look at Luke chapter 24 and there in verse 19, something about, about the Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 24 verse 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, these are the people who are on the road so de- feeling so dejected, and Jesus engages them, and this is their own uh, testimony. He said to them, what things? They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God, and listen to this, and all the people. So in other words, all the people knew Jesus. Of course, there it includes even the, 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 uh, the religious authorities who suddenly put him to death. But they knew him. Indeed, that is the biting truth there. And so his life was not lived at a corner. He did mighty works and wonders and signs. And no one could doubt that. But not only his life, he died. And his death was remarkable. His death stands out. Verse 23, we are back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So there, it talks of uh, the death of Jesus uh, by crucifixion. But even as we talk, as we look at that verse, and yes, acknowledge that they voluntarily, by wicked hands, put him to death. Let's not forget, my friends, in the very verse, we are told, indeed, what we would say, his times were in God's sovereign hand. Because verse 23 begins by saying, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Now that's very helpful. We're not talking of one who is a a victim, a helpless victim. But here is a man whose very life is lived in the presence of God within the determined um, plan and foreknowledge of God. But they killed him. So yes, he lived an open life. They killed him. Then something else about this Christ is that he resurrected. And so we see his resurrection, not only his life, his death, but then his resurrection there in verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so basically, Peter, in this summon, Peter is telling these people, you killed him, but God raised him up because death has no power over him. Peter says here and brings more proof, we may put it that way, Peter sets before them more proofs that Jesus indeed is the Messiah of God. And he brings those proofs. Look at verse 25 to 28. Acts chapter 2. Verse 25. For, so he brings in another argument. Because, let me convince you further, Peter says. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. Quoting from the Old Testament, book of Psalm. For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, 
My heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also uh, will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And so quoting from the Old Testament, Peter shows here David talking about gladness and rejoicing and hope there in verse 25 and 26. Now why is Peter doing that? And why in that extension, why is David talking about gladness and rejoicing and hope? Because there in verse 27, because the Father won't let death reign over his Son. His Son will not remain under the reign of death. This psalm, friends, shows us something. While David is the one who spoke, but David, surely when you analyze this passage, David is saying more than things that indeed did happen to him. Verse 29, Brothers, may say to you, Peter goes on, with confidence about the patriarch David, in relevance to what we have just seen, that David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So in other words, these things that David said in the book of Psalms that Peter repeats here surely must have their relevance beyond David. This gladness, this rejoicing, this hope. Because death will not suppress such a person. These things must find their expression somewhere else. Verse 30. Being therefore a prophet. David was a prophet. And knowing that God had shown with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This is the reason why Peter quotes David. Because David spoke about another, his descendant, but one who death will not reign over. David himself died and his grave was still there, indeed, to this day. David, therefore, spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Death would not have power over him. And as we know, of course, God raised him up. And that is the argument that Peter is building here. Death would not have power over him. So friends, we are seeing here, not only have we seen Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, but you know, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. We see in verse 33, we are told about his ascension. His ascension. Look with me at verse 33. We read this. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. It's wonderful. That is wonderful because Christ is not in the grave. Christ is risen. And Peter is indeed saying, having risen and having gone up, exalted by the Father, where he is now, the proof of that is that he has poured out 
what has just happened. What others were saying is a mark of drunkenness, but others were saying, what do these things mean? It's like they scratched their head so that it could be explained to them. And that is hence why Peter preached this sermon, to explain to the people that the one who died, rose again, ascended into heaven, and is at the right hand of God, now has poured his Holy Spirit. And friends, Peter then says and anchors this again in an Old Testament passage. You know, Peter is a different man. Different man, as we saw yesterday, the Lord opened their eyes now so they see the scriptures in, in an, um, a new way. Men who previously argued with their master, even the things that the master would tell them, this, this will happen to you. And Peter was the ringleader saying, no, 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 this will not happen to you. Now he sees everything according to the scriptures. And there he quotes for us Psalm 110. Psalm 110. If we pick verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, now quoting 110, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is a very messianic uh, psalm indeed and quoted in the New Testament. Here the Father calls the Son, God. And you know what? Simply put, he's saying, my son, sit, wait. Wait and see how I will deal with your enemies and defeat them. That is put in a very simple way. Sit at my feet until I make your enemies your footstool. My son, those who do not respect and recognize you, you wait and see how I will deal with them. So this is Peter speaking to this group of people. Mixed group, yes. What's the conclusion then of all these things? Look with me, verse 36. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now that is the conclusion of this sermon of Peter. Peter is very bold and he honestly tells them, I certainly show you, I've shown you, but I'm showing you now that you are all wrong. You killed the Messiah, but God raised him and God brought him to himself. He ascended. God enthroned him. God has made him Lord. Friends, if that is what God has done, then what hope is there? What hope is there for this multitude there in Jerusalem during this day of Pentecost? And they have really reached a stage where clearly they have, it has been said before them that the one they killed is the Messiah. Verse 37, if we were to take it as number three, just reveals to us or exhibits before us a sense and need for repentance. A sense 
desperate need of repentance. Look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? And here, my dear brethren, we are seeing the power of the gospel. When the gospel is set out clearly before the hearers, when we labor to bring the gospel to those who hear us so clearly, you know what? This is what ought to happen. What shall we do? These things being the way they are. That should be our desire. We are here in this mission conference. And I do want to submit that we must so labor in the mission. And so bring our hearers, actually not just out there alone, here, and I know it is preached in this pulpit, Sunday by Sunday, but we must bring our hearers to a point where they are able to say, I see I am guilty. I see my sin before the Lord. I see my life has been going this way. While all along the Lord says I should go this way. What shall I do? In their case, these people had killed the very Messiah they had been longing for. Of course, they stand guilty. And you know that beautiful verse? I say beautiful verse 35, where the quotation from this psalm is basically, as I've said, my son, you wait. You wait. Wait and see what I'm going to do to your enemies. And the one who is going to judge them is the one that Peter and the rest of the apostles are explaining there, proclaiming there, and will continue to proclaim that he is alive. He is risen. He is alive. He is the judge. They have to have dealings with it. And so, friends, my point really again is we bring our hearers, by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit, to say, what shall we do? What shall I do? And then in the fourth place, of course, beautifully, to show every inquiring sinner that there is mercy, that there is amazing grace that would be extended to everyone Everyone, look at verse 38 to 40. And Peter said to them, repent, repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of none other, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So friends, we must so labor and show, bring our hearers to a point where they see that they have sinned against God. God Almighty, by rejecting his son, the only hope they have, but they have rejected him. Of course, Pray that the Holy Spirit 
when he has brought them to that point, he will be able to say, repent. Repent and be baptized. Turn around. Repentance really is change your heart, change your mind. Turn towards God from your evil way, your evil life. And have faith in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who all along you have rejected. In this case, they killed him. But the one who all along we have despised. If we were there in Jerusalem that day, we would be just like them. We would even say, crucify him, crucify him. But now, when our sins are shown, then we must be able to turn to him in faith relying upon him, taking him as the one who alone would then bring us into fellowship with God the Father. And of course, the promise is there. The promise is given right in verse 40 there. Verse 39 and 40. For the promise is for you and for your children. And listen to this. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And there are two small things. One, very important, but one, all who are far off. One may say, oh, but you know, he was talking to the people in Jerusalem, therefore these were Jews and, and, and Jewish converts. Oh, don't use that as an excuse because here we are told not only for their children also, but all who are afar off. We are the far off people. The Gentiles with no hope. Our hope is here shown to us that we can also believe in God. Jesus Christ. But you see, so that's one. There is hope for us tonight. If you're not saved, don't wait. Don't use this and say, well, these were Jews. We are the far off group. But there is hope for us. And as we go in missions, some far area, unreached, Let's know we can use this passage and persuade our hearers that they also have hope in this Jesus Christ. But secondly, which actually is hope for us, good encouragement for us, is the very end of that sentence. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself Friends, we go out to labor in the field and we thunder the scriptures from this pulpit Sunday by Sunday. But you know what? Those who ultimately get saved are those who the Lord himself, the Lord calls to himself. If the Lord calls a person, they will come. And of course, when they come, he will give them the Holy Spirit. And so we have two encouragements there. Gentiles like ourselves, welcomed in. And secondly, the Lord our God calls to himself. And there is, you won't use it as a bargain again to say, oh, but you know, maybe I'm not called. All who hear the gospel, are called. And that is the purpose for which Peter quoted Joel. Verse 21 again. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, there we are told Peter's sermon was longer than the verses that we are given here. Because he went on and persuaded the people more and more. And those who believed in the Lord were baptized. 
they were added to the Lord's people. God willing, we'll look at some of that truth tomorrow. 3,000 were added through baptism. What can we take home with us tonight? Already, of course, we've already raised a number of areas emphasizing as areas of application. But friends, for one, Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen, he's exalted, he's Lord and Savior. He reigns above all. And therefore, dear pastors here, and actually dear believers, if you are here, please let us proclaim, if we occupy pulpits, let us proclaim by our lives as we witness and evangelize without holding back that Jesus Christ is the Lord. We are able to do that, of course, because as God's people, he has sent his Holy Spirit or he has poured his Holy Spirit within us. And that's why, obviously, people can learn theology and people who lack jobs may work their way and say, well, I, I want to go and be a missionary somewhere because uh, there's nothing I I'm doing here. But they're not sent. They do not have the Holy Spirit of God. Those of us who then have this call to go out and to preach and to gather believers and to go through all the challenges that our dear pastor explained earlier, let us do that with full conviction because Christ is Lord. And he calls sinners to himself. Those whom he calls will come. Christ risen, dear friends, is therefore our great content of missions. It was for the apostles, and we will see that honestly as we go through the, 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 the book of, of Acts. One message they hammered again and again is Christ as Lord, risen now to save. And we must not change. We must not tone down. We must not make it light. No, we must make him known. That is our business. That's what we are called for. Indeed, later on, the Apostle Paul brings it out as a strong argument how that is the one thing that he wants to do and no one must deny him that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Basically, if I do not declare that there is hope for the lost in the one who is risen, the Lord Jesus Christ, then woe is me. So it was Paul's business and every apostle's business. And my friends, it must be our business. If you are tonight here but you are not saved, then you must come first to see what we have seen here. You must be convinced you have sinned against the God Almighty, rejecting his son, going your own way. 
And there is no other way to deal with that problem. And it is a big problem. The problem of sin. The problem of rejecting the only God-given way. And so, you must repent. But certainly, if you repent, then there is forgiveness. There is an amazing demonstration of mercy that when you repent, of course, as we will see, you repent and you are baptized. You then are demonstrating that indeed you have turned to the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who get saved will receive the Holy Spirit and their lives will now be lived in the presence of God. You know what, friends? Maybe this will help us. But a humbling thing. I come from a religious country like yours, I'm sure. But you see, it's very easy for people to get to learn the language of the saved, if I may use it, that, put it that way. And they may even claim, yes, I am saved. And they may actually tell you, like in this church where God's word is explained so clearly, they may give you back the things that have been shown, you know, Christ, the only hope of sinners, and what damage sin has done. But indeed, they are not saved. The Holy Spirit has not worked in them. And you know, religion, they are just being religious. Religion is not enough. That's the big task we have. That's the big problem we have. In many of our churches and in our cities where then so much religion has gone round. Yesterday I gave you illustration of what this past weekend in my country. So many then think Kenya is now just blessed because someone came and supposedly prayed so that all our problems be gone. People have just become religious overnight. They're not saved. They're not saved. But those who are saved, then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they are obedient. And they begin to demonstrate life of holiness as they hear the preaching of God's word. And they are shown areas in their lives that they were just carrying out religious practices. Now they see that, no, that is sin and this is what should be done. And they say no to that and go to, you know, turn to holiness. That only happens in hearts where the Holy Spirit dwells in. Could it be many who find their way into our membership actually do not have the Holy Spirit of God? That's a sad thing to even ponder. And so I say as I close, we are sent to a crooked generation. Crooked generation. Indeed, our passage shows Peter charges them at the end, save yourself from this crooked generation. And so our generation is crooked. They were religious, by the way. Religious. In fact, they were in Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. Well, God who has raised his son and placed his son right at his right hand is this God who has now sent us to proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior. And as I finish, I just want to mention that this, I know, has been the, the content of preaching here, and I trust has been the content of the preachings that have gone on in these 40 
various churches that have been set up, no, started, planted in this country and other parts of our great continent. But as uh, I mentioned to you yesterday, when my dear brother Conrad asked me to speak on your mission conference, reflecting on the 30 years, I did not go back into last year or two years or three years, five years back on the various emails that I've received from him. I went back to those good old times when we wrote to one another. And he also allowed me to share the prayer letters that he would periodically send out. And as I close then, just a brief um, paragraph. In this one is uh, the prayer letter of May uh, to August uh, 1992, actually the same year also that I first visited your country. But as he um, talked about the membership and the meetings, what caught my attention and of great encouragement, I believe it has also been touched on uh, what was shown in the video there. Something on missions, let me just read this. The series of sermons, I quote, the series of sermons on the local church's unique mission in the world is beginning to bear evident fruit in the church. There is a growing concern for evangelism at a personal level. A number of members who saw the work of evangelism as an extracurriculum activity for the overzealous few are now seeing it as the very soul of their relationship with and stay in the world. Please pray for us that the Lord may encourage these feeble efforts by saving souls at our hands. And, and that honestly warmed my heart as I was preparing. Yes, on the one hand, there are those who are seeing evangelism as just something for the few, the overzealous few, as an extracurriculum activity in the church. But actually, through uh, those, uh, that series uh, here called The Local Church's Unique Mission in the World, that helped quite a number in the church to see honestly. It's the very soul of their relationship with and stay in the world. Why are we here? Yeah, I know we are here to celebrate the mission 30 years. But even when we leave this place and go back to our houses and after the conference is over and we are back to our places, friends, the reason why we leave is that we may proclaim Christ as the only savior of sinners. And that we must do in our places of work. That we must do in our own families with our loved ones. That we must do literally everywhere. That therefore we must pray for those men. And of course the women, their wives, who go out in the mission field. We must declare Christ has risen, the only hope of sinners. And that God, by his grace, will be pleased to call them to himself because he has promised. So there is hope for us. Even tonight, let us pray. Lord, our God, we thank you. Thank you for that first summon of Peter. Yes, it was a sermon that came as a provocation. 
Because people were saying, ah, this guy is a drunk. And others were left scratching their heads and saying, what do these things mean? And Peter grabbed the opportunity and explained from the scriptures and to show that Jesus Christ, the one who they had rejected and put to death, God raised him up. God brought him to himself. God has declared him Lord and Savior of sinners. And therefore, Lord, just as Peter, now we pray, any among us who is not saved, any who has not repented of their sins, Lord, even tonight, how we plead with you that they would not delay, but would repent of their sins and be saved from this crooked generation of ours. But I pray that the missionaries who are here tonight and through this conference will be able to go back encouraged to press on because this is your business. And you have poured your Holy Spirit upon every believer. There is hope, therefore, as we labor in the gospel, that sinners will be saved. Continue then to bless your work in this church and their efforts as they spread more and more outside. You have heard their prayers over these 30 years. They've labored. They've struggled, times of discouragement. But we are here tonight to look back and thank you because you're a gracious God. Thank you, our Father. Through our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in his name we pray. Amen.